Everyone has a story. Sonorish enraptured the people with their performance and is now recognized as Nuedo's greatest dancer. Mulek unified a number of gangs and created a strong neighborhood watch. People believed in them, and that's how the world changes and brings balance. This week, join me, Zach Walsh, as I talk with the amazing Russ Salty Rolands about the neon samurai role-playing game, Nuedo. Explore a city of change where the classical world lives alongside the modern. We're talking about fate, wonder, and your legend right now on Schedule for Launch. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover the projects that you may have missed. This week, I'm super excited to finally be coming back to this with actually a a local close to me here and somebody that was recommended to me by one of the new friendly local game stores, Salty. Thank you so much for joining me on the show this week. Zach, man, thanks very much for having me. I walked into our shared friendly local game store and was immediately met with a very vibrant sci-fi, as you describe it, a neon samurai role-playing game. And they're like, hey, uh, you're the podcast guy. Is this something you'd be interested in? And I flipped through the the copy that you had left there and we're going to be talking about Nuedo today and why I picked up this game and more or less read it back to back in less than a week. I think I told you the day that I picked it up too. Like, I'm so excited about this game. It's really cool. <laughs> I'm excited to hear your excitement, man. That's really flattering. And and thanks to Mecca here in St. Catharines for recommending me. I really appreciate that too. So as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about Nuedo today. And this game is super cool. It's a little crunchy, but it's very story focused and it hits this really interesting curve of gameplay and storytelling. And I'm excited to pick your brain about that. But before we really get into what Nuedo is and the entire world that you've built there, can you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and a little bit about yourself in the space? Sure. Um, so uh, I'm Salty of Salty Games. My name is Russ Rollins. Uh, my name's inside this book, which still continues to amaze me that there's a book up on shelves with my name in it. Um, <laughs> the, the genesis of Salty Games is that I'm a sailor, and <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote I wrote most of this game, the rules for it, prior to uh, to getting to a certain place. So you will start to recognize from the title of the game. Um, mm-hmm. And then finished writing it after having got to Japan, skinning the, the rule system with the location of Japan. I've done a couple of different things in my life. I'm a kid from Hamilton, Ontario. Um, moved to Toronto when I was fairly young to go to school and dropped out of a PhD and just kind of bummed around for a while. Uh, don't tell anyone in finance, but I lied my way into an MBA and then had a finance career for about a, 10 years. And found myself in my mid-30s with no wife, no kids, no debt, a couple of bucks saved up, a happy life, a happy career, happy family, all of that. I mean, uh, my biological family. And but, you know, not really not really needing to continue to to chase that uh, uh, dollar down in the rat race. So yeah. I, I I learned to sail a pre a couple of years before I didn't grow up sailing like most kids from Hamilton don't. Uh, I learned to sail just <laughs> in, in, in in Toronto Harbor doing race racing, not on highly competitive boats. Really? Uh, yeah, 
No, I mean, we're not talking fucking fancy racing here. We're talking beer can racing. No. <laughs> it's fun, though. I was Oh, God. I was looking to leave finance, at least temporarily. I, I was 35. And uh, and I so I told the guys on my boat that I'm going to go do uh, some backpacking in, in Central and South America. And we, I'll skip the name that people will call that, typically. Uh, and they said, don't do that. Why don't you backpack on sailboats? And I said, what do you mean? They said, well, long-distance sailboats always need bodies. And I said, well, I don't know how to sail. And they said, well, yes, you do. And I ended up basically joining sailboats that sailed around the world for three years. Unexpected. In the most serendipitous possible kind of ways. And it wasn't all good. There was some bad, but it was the vast majority of it was very good. Uh, it changed my life. It changed my mental metabolism, slowed me down in a, in a positive way, I'd like to think. Uh, it let me, you know, revisit priorities and all of that. And Nuido was, was part of what came out of that and, and, and drastic lifestyle changes as, as well. But, uh, that's how I came to, to write this game and to end up on the south shore of Lake Ontario instead of the north shore of Lake Ontario. <laughs> Something that I noticed there when you were talking, Russ, was that New Edo was written as you were sailing, and it kind of prompted from, I'm guessing, the idea of you getting to Japan, but what was it like when you were originally setting up the framework and then actually getting there and being like, this is this is what it's going to be? So the genesis of the genesis, what's that? Pre-genesis? Uh, I was writing fiction. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a terrible fucking writer, and I apologize to the folks that have read the six or seven pages of fiction in, in the Nueda book. Uh, it's them. meant to be contextual, but it, it, it is the best possible fiction I've ever written, which says something. <laughs> uh, and I would write short stories and, you know, 10, 15 pages and send them home because there's a lot of downtime while you're sailing. Um, yeah. And, you know, you run out of books and I'm not much of a TV or movie consumer. And so I just would would get in front of a keyboard and, and fart out all of the the scenes and the, the people and the concepts and the emotions that had struck me. And the, the things that I was encountering as I was traveling, I would translate into to nerd talk of mermaids and Valkyries and, and Leviathans and chaos and, and vampires and time travel and all this shit. Um, and I was writing about uh, uh, some sort of time traveling spy out of Central America, and my my brother, who uh, is dramatically smarter than I am, has a PhD in uh, the sociology of video games. Oh, um, said, "Hey, man, your fiction is you know it hasn't yet set my hair on fire, but I'm, this world is wacky." Like, I want to play this world in an RPG. And like a little Eureka light screwed in on top of my head. And, and it occurred to me that, well, I, I may not be a good writer, writing the framework for a game, which I have a long history of familiarity with, I mean, mm -hmm. RPGs in general, yeah. um, would help my fiction. Because when there's when it's boundless, how do you compare uh, A to B to places, people, things? And so, so building a fictional world or the powers of fictional characters in a semi-realistic world mm -hmm. in the framework of a game really helps you square, square it off. Like, okay, man, um, this is a witch from this geography and this is a vampire from that geography and this is a, 
uh, shaming from that geography and, and blah, blah, blah. How, what powers do they have and how do they compare at certain levels? And, and man, that, that really got me going. Just the, the joy of that. I'm like, oh, this needs to be a game now. Just like Tim, my brother said. And so that's when I switched from writing pure fiction to creating the framework for a game. And this is prior to, to, to getting to Japan. So the idea was mm-hmm. to create a game system that, uh, well, would allow effectively, you know, it's, uh, you could compare it to a, a superhero system where their powers were structured by their geography, um, but were, you know, not, not limited. I mean, it's a classless game. So it, yeah. you weren't, you weren't limited by your role. Um, and so I was sketching out the, the, the concepts of various abilities based on geography or, or niche rather than, rather than trope of vampire powers or witch powers or shaman powers or immortal sword fighter powers or any of that stuff. So, uh-huh. and, and then I ac- accidentally arrived in Japan after quite a bit of sailing serendipity. And originally, Nuedo had been set in Toronto because that's the city I was familiar with. And it's a big, shiny city, and I think everyone should go yeah. there, but it doesn't exactly light up your imagination. No, people that have been a, to Toronto would say, wow, Russ, that's a boring fucking place for you to set your, your story. And people that have never been to Toronto would be like, uh, immigration? Uh, what's, what's like, nobody that's, if you haven't been to Toronto, all you can think of is maybe the, the Sky Dome and the CN Tower, right? Uh, so it so it doesn't exactly light up your imagination. And then yeah. I, you know, I was on a boat for well more than ninety days, thirty of which there was no other no land in sight. We spent six weeks floating through Polynesia, and okay. you know, minimal human interaction, small towns. Uh, we got to Papeete, and I mean, sorry, listeners. The main city of the island of Tahiti is called Papiiti, and it's a fucking dump. Um, but <laughs> but it was the only, the only big city I'd been to in a while, and from there I flew to Tokyo, and I'd never been to Tokyo. And holy shit! Like later on, you come to discover that Tokyo is mostly kind of just a boring concrete city. But when you first get there, especially after the influence of just having been in palm trees and small islands for for months at a time. I was overstimulated, but I'm like, oh, this is the place where the game has to be set. And then I, more serendipity, more sailing serendipity, ended up staying and coming and going and making friends who let me stay on their boat, but got me further integrated into culture and society and all of that and reinforced all of this. So that's the the, the story behind the story. <laughs> the thing I love is that it's this little love letter. And I also just realized we spent the past 12 minutes kind of going off there. And we still haven't touched on what is Nuedo. So, what what is this game, Russ? Well, okay. I mean, from from what from what sense? What is is uh, Nuedo is a me- a medium crunch. I would call it a traditional role playing game, uh, wherein you roll out the dice uh, in a trait plus skill dice pool system against a target number, meaning you have to add up all the dice that you roll, which are d four, d six, d eight, d ten, and d twelves. Uh, against a target number that defines your difficulty. D10s explode, meaning that anyone can literally do anything, though with vanishingly small potential, of course. But kind of, it will be familiar to um, uh, players who are familiar with uh, World of Darkness or Legend of the Five Ring systems. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the differentiator was that I wanted to build geographies separately. We can get into that later because it doesn't really strike on this game too much. But uh, <laughs> the thing that would weave everything together would be this concept of fate. And I wanted this to not be a, I don't know, not an angst and rebellion and fighting the system game. I wanted it to be an adventure game. Uh, wherein if you encounter the time-traveling robot, you wouldn't be like, fuck it, that's bullshit. You'd be like, fuck yeah, that's awesome. Why is there a time-traveling robot here? Cool, man, let's get here. <laughs> and the only way I could think of doing that is that there's this unifying thread of fate throughout the universe, throughout the game world, uh, that has a material impact both on the RP of your characters, but on their statistics and, and how you play the game. So the slight modifications from a... Old World of Darkness or or Legend of Five Rings game system is some stuff to tie that in this this concept of fate yeah. and the importance of your characters. It's so cool. One of the major things that kind of pulls this game all together is the well, I think it's a major religion in Nuedo. It's the idea of change and balance, where things are always in change, and it'll eventually balance out. And you have these characters and these options and these political ideas in the world of Nuedo, where it says that a huge part of the population wants things to move on to the next part, while another part says, no, we, we have to remember our roots. And you've done this beautiful job with your character options, making sure that that rolls together. So can you please tell me a little bit about coming up with the idea of change and balance and how it influences characters in this game. Yeah. So the way of balance and change is the, the subtle religion slash philosophy um, slash poetry of, of the geography that the game is set in, which is a, obviously a Japan analog. Um, and, and the, the tenet is that uh, change is inevitable and balance will always be restored. But what that balance is, is different for everybody. And sometimes folks will think that things are in balance, but others will believe that change needs to happen. Um, and that's all fine and good. And we're not all, you know, uh, philosophists or, or, or religious theorists getting into games. But it really suits the game's uh, core, I mean, fantasy or, yeah, I guess fantasy mechanic is that the game world, well recognizable to, to folks here. It's not a fantasy world. It's a it's a Earth analog. Um, yeah. At least in the geography that this game is set, uh, belief defines reality, and so the weight of popular belief can change the fabric of reality, and that tends to happen in very broad, slow, aggregate strokes, uh, mm -hmm. but can be localized. And, and that explains the, the potence of, of characters and NPCs and, and you know, the, all, all the folks that you'll be talking about when you play the game, because we're not really out there to talk about accountants and shoe shiners, not, not to say there's anything <laughs> wrong with those folks, until they do something exceptional that warrants playing a game about. Um, yeah. So, so balance and change is the, the subtle suggestion that that it, it's it's this dichotomy that everyone's going to have a different perspective on balance and a different drive towards change, but everyone agrees on both of them. Yes, balance will always be restored, and certainly change is inevitable. 
Whether or not you currently believe that the world is in balance, you know that change is inevitable, so you have to prepare for it. And mm-hmm. if you, in, 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 if you, if it's your goal to change the world, then, then inevitably, you, you like, you'll be pushing for that change because you believe the world is out of balance. Um, characters are intended to, to have a goal more than just to go out and loot and kill and have fun and have adventures and slay a dragon and be heroes and whatnot. The setting is set at a series of inflection points. The primary one is is between the past and the future, which creates the yeah. neon samurai uh, uh, catchphrase that, that was referred to at the start. Because belief defines reality in the geography of this game setting holds dearly to the past, not exclusively, but quite dearly to the past, the tenets, beliefs, structures, and even people of the past still have strong potence, if that isn't rhetorical, uh, in the game setting, such that you'll find traditionally dressed samurai wandering the streets of the city, conversing amongst themselves and wearing their daisho, while across the street, neon motorcycle cyberpunks are causing shit. Um, and at first that may be jarring. Of course, it's tons of fun. But that is the motivation for characters in the game is that you're supposed to cotton on and grab one of these, these concepts, past or future, tradition or technology, science or mysticism, and move the world towards your vision of what the future should be. And the game doesn't try to tell you what is the better way. Should tradition be upheld or should technology be embraced, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. A way you go about this is arguably one of the most important parts of a character, and that is their legend and the legend system. I, I fucking love this. It's such a good way to get people invested into both their character and the world. So can you talk about the legend system and how it works and what it does for the characters. Yeah. Um, so the legend system, I mean, let's be honest, it's just the game's meta currency. Uh, yeah. And there's only one and everyone has one fighters use it. And uh, we're, I'm going to trope here, you know, spellcasters <laughs> use it and, and combatants use it. And it's, it's your it's your well of key. It's your willpower. It's your source of sense of self, but it is reinforced by the belief of both you know local bystanders and eventually by the the belief, awe, fascination, and fear and or fear of the population as your characters and the NPCs that they are set against begin to grow in power. So yeah. Legend is a meta currency, you know, spell points or stamina points or whatever. Lots of games have them because we need to balance all the superpowers the characters have. But from a, a lore perspective and how that interacts with actually playing this game, your superpowers are powered by the belief of the population in your superpowers. Whether they're spellcasting or cybernetics or locking bullets with katanas, you focus your will and you perform something extraordinary. And effectively, in meta, you spend uh, uh, temporary points of, of your legend. And in doing so, you perform something amazing. Now, that's assuming you succeed on your dice rolls. Yeah. Uh, but doing so, you're granted back that, that resource. Because by, by succeeding at something amazing, you're just reinforcing your own legend. 
So every character at character creation, every player at character creation is encouraged to not just think about the, the traits plus the skills plus the bonuses. You know, do you have some magic? Do you have some technology? Do you have whatever? Some background context. But but to focus on a motivation behind why their character gets out of bed at night or in the morning or whenever they get out of bed. And that motivation is their legend. And it can evolve as you play your character. There's nothing restricting how you do so. This is not a, a humanity system. It's not a, a an alignment system. It's mutable and is encouraged to change. Uh, but as you do things that foster your own legend, your legend will grow. And, and that's in meta, permanent legend. You spend temporary legend to do stuff, whether or not, you know, we could just be talking about, like, I'd like to jump between moving cars. Okay, you're going to have to spend some legend to do that. Whether or not your legend is, I'm a uh, highway acrobatist, uh, you know, you can use this 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 currency to do amazing things, whether or not it falls within your, you know, particular character's purview of their their legend. But mm-hmm. you can start as, as as ambitious or as humble as you want with your legend, but think, okay, why does my character get up and go to work and that work can be adventures and it can just be going to work at the shoeshine shop assuming that there's more to your game than just shoeshine and so that drags out a little bit of role playing from players like why does your character do that well i don't know we're just playing together man i really like my buddy jeff's here and so i kind of want to play the game (laughs) and that's that's fucking fine like look we all rp is not easy and it's not the first thing we all think of and it's not why we all play this game these games sorry but but legend in Nuedo creates a motivation to to think of the why, not just the how. How is with your with your sword, with your gun, with your magic, with your technology, with your sweet talking ways, with whatever. Uh, but the why is your legend, um, and and so I, I'm. I, I don't know, like the banality of it being just the game's meta currency, and you see all these articles on our oh, meta currencies that's bullshit you know we gotta think of better ways to create <laughs> things fuck you guys uh but uh the, <laughs> the the tie into to to how it it motivates players to enjoy the game hopefully enjoy the game and by experience it does um mm-hmm. i'm really proud of what to me seemed like a kind of a quirk when i first built the game has turned into a, a really uh, great way to, to drag players into an RP, not by force, but by encouragement, um, and and results in better characters, or sorry, more de- uh, deep characters. And and backing up a step, no, it was a, a character customization heaven. Yes. Which leads oh to gosh. some crazy. I'm going to get into that in it's just not, a second. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that, uh, but I just want to reinforce that there's a lot of character customization in Nuedo because it is a game built for characters. But fuck me, there's some depth there that takes getting used to the first time you read the book. And I apologize yeah. if, if you're not accustomed to this kind of system. If the first time you pick this thing up. <laughs> I think I'm going to talk on, on Legend first for a second because I cannot praise it enough. Because you're saying, you've said it's a meta currency, but it's to me, it it feels like so much more. It's this Ludo narrative piece that attaches your character to the world and it really drives you to i've made two characters just to make sure that i have a feel for this game and amazing it attaches you to the world to make sure that 
you can you can pick it up and go like your character is a person flushed out by default i should say in the barest sense you might not know exactly how they do it or what they're doing but by writing down i'm going to be the greatest swordsman or i'm going to become a, an amazing duelist like that is a legend that the npcs can attach to oh my god and that's the best part too because you introduce a new character or a new player to the game and they create a character and they say i'm going to be the, the most badass ass to, to you know they could be simple as they want i'm going to be the, the best sword fighter in Rado. fuck you've got an uphill battle but that is going to be a long and gratifying story arc if not a very short and painful one uh, <laughs> or you could be huge you know i'm going to be the best um uh, uh, Kushi chef in this district of the game. Okay, we got to make that work somehow within the plots and all of this. And what else? you got to have motivations other than just cooking every night. Okay, well, I mean, I might have this and have that uh, a grander story arc or or whatever it may be. Um, but but it does force players in I hope a not too strong arm way to think about context rather than just. Uh, stats yeah it it really does grab you as a player and i i cannot commend you enough for something so simple because i think when a lot of people sit down to make a character they go this is who my character who this is who my character wants to be in the world like this is who i want them to be and you can use that premise as your character's motivation to start. And then it changes. And that's amazing. We just talked... And... Oh, please continue. So, sorry, I apologize. Uh, you, you know, when I sit down to make a 5e character, and I still play 5e occasionally when, when I get a chance, uh-huh. I can take weeks to make a character, and I'll think of some elaborate bullshit backstory and make up cities and make up family relations and make up military units that this character used to be part of, and then you're thrown into an adventure, and none of it fucking matters anymore. Yeah. It's cool for you to RP, for me to RP and stuff like that, whether or not the group enjoys it. But there's no real reward or encouragement for doing so. It's just a, something yeah. that my brain enjoys. So Nuedo is made to, to, you know, encourage that and reward that and not force that, but to tease it out. And then once you start to get into it, you it it doesn't just tie you to the world. It creates plot points immediately because say, if you yep. set out to be the best Kushi chef in, in mad city, there's a, you got to be better than someone. And there's already someone there. That's good. And yeah. that person is eventually going to hear of you and it's going to come for you, not come for you in the Kushi sense. Uh, hopefully. In a cook-off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, but but that, that, that creates RP depth and, and, and hooks and potential for the storyteller to throw in the storyteller can tell whatever hell story they want, um, you know, within reason of what the players want to play through. But then it, the ability to hook in your PCs the same way that uh, an art, like a, a video RPG will hook in the stories of its NPCs. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm going to go off on a side mission for the, the blah, 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 because she's been helping me through this adventure. I love mm-hmm. that in the various RPGs I play. And so... This, yeah. this aids the storyteller and grants, um, I don't know, a connection to the world, like you've been saying, to, to players. 
something I noticed a moment ago when we were just talking about the legend and creating your first character and apologizing if this is the first game you picked up in this system. Nuedo uses a priority buy system, and that's not super familiar to a lot of people. Some people who've listened to the show know how I feel about how Shadowrun 5th Edition handled it. Um, New Edo <laughs> is so much cleaner. Oh my gosh, I was so happy to see this, and it makes <laughs> sense. So can you please give us a little bit of a description on what priority buy is for those who may not be aware of it? Right, so so what I said five minutes ago about this being ultimately a character-building and a character-driven game, the setting is cool and the politics are cool and the art is fucking better than the rest of that, but so I, I, enjoy, I enjoy building characters, and but I, I don't enjoy running games with 25 source books. Um, and so one of my design goals very early set out was to optimize character creativity or create character options while not making the storyteller's job fucking miserable uh not having to keep track of a billion modifiers not having to just trust that your players are being honest with whatever fucking source book they pulled out of the the ether or or (laughs) history or whatever like all of the options are in this 308 page book um, and so the the way that you do that, you create lots of create character creation options without um, uh, restricting them by class, which is anathema to me as a as a creative player. Not that everyone should hate it. Like there, there's nothing wrong with a class based game. You just know what you're getting no. into, right? Yeah. Um, and so Nuedo and other priority buy systems give you a bunch of categories and they can be different by game, but some very common ones are your core traits, things like uh, how strong or fast or intelligent or charming or savvy or insightful or perceptive or these things that are attributed to our, you know, main character attributes. That might be one, but your core sense, those are, those are uh, the things that you're born with and can evolve slowly but are ultimately, you know, your natural potential. Uh-huh. Uh, there's skills, of course, things that you can learn with a book or with going to a class or going to a dojo or going to learn from a master, whatever it may be. Um, so those are two of the buckets of possible priorities in Nuedo. Uh, there's three more. One is your cybernetics. Uh, that is all the cool, flashy chrome that you attach to your character. And you can choose to have none of that. Uh, yep. The fourth is your magic. Uh, magic in Nuedo is uh, structured around a Shintoist, animist belief that everything has a spirit, and the spirit of those things can do magic, but you can't do magic. You have to sweet-talk the spirits into doing it for you. Now, do you interpret that as doing it yourself? Does it really fucking matter? No. Uh, but it is structured around a Shintoist, uh, uh, animist-based yeah. base. Uh, and the last one is... Um, your backgrounds. Does your character have any contacts beyond the things that we just described? Are they a magic user with big arms or are they a blah, blah, blah? So your backgrounds are um, things like, are they rich? Are they influential? Are they, uh, 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 do they have a a particular group of following? Uh, Do they have contacts? These will be familiar to anyone from the world of darkness and I'm sure 20 other games. Yeah. Anyway, so you take these five buckets, your core traits, your skills, your magic, your cybernetics, and your backgrounds, and you assign a priority to each one of them, A, B, C, D, and E. 
um, and you can only have one of each priority. Uh, and you create a character that from a from a simple one page table that says if you have priority A in core traits and priority E in magic, here's what the the resources that you get to spend on your character in that bucket. Um, mm-hmm. You can start to see how this turns into a bit of a matrix of decision making. Okay, well I I want my fourteen <laughs> points in this, but I could use my twenty nine points in that, and they they you know they're not fungible. You can't trade them between your two categories. So is it really more important for me to be a famous, well known, rich guy? that can just barely shoot or a guy that can shoot pretty good with the goal of became a, becoming a famous, well-known rich guy. You could, you could be both, but you can't be, so you could be one or the other, but you can't be both at the same time at the start of the game. Um, and this priority system, one allows you to create a, a magic user with cybernetics and we'll make a quick yep. aside. There's nothing barring you from doing both in, in the radio. There's no uh, structural mm-hmm. rule system that, makes magic not compatible with technology, which is very rewarding and a breath, yeah, breath of fresh air. Some um, of the combos are so cool. And and, and also in and, and, and technology does not uh, impugn your humanity or or reduce your sanity or anything like that. Uh, there's no punishment for using technology beyond some, some minor balancing technical items. Uh, there's no psychological or judgmental systems like, oh, if you use technology in your body, therefore you must be flawed in some other way. Yeah. Um, uh, but but piecing together a character on day one, you have to, one, it's important to know what kind of story you're putting together. Because if you think you guys are going to be playing a, a political game of intrigue, backstabbing machinations and, and espionage, uh, and everyone else in your game thinks you're going to be playing a sword fighting game of of uh, uh, chopping up monsters on the edges of civilization for fun, your political machinations character can be what will 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 be blunt and say less effective. Um, <laughs> so session 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 zero becomes important in a priority buy game because you can yep. really screw yourself up. Um, unlike five uh, e, we'll just be blunt. That's the biggest game out there. Yep. Wherein everyone can be effective in, in the game's only goal, which is combat. Even if you really fuck up and create the least optimized character in 5e, you're going to be perfectly fine at killing things in some which way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but that's not, I mean, I mean, we're talking the bottom of the barrel here as far as game development goes, but it is, a, it is the stark contrast. Uh, to to people that may be new to a priority buy system, and and don't get me wrong, I'm not maligning Five E from anything other than a limiting your character development and, and options perspective. Five E is fun. Fuck was a coast, but yeah, Five E itself is like oh, this is why people play the game. Don't get me wrong. I think it's also really important for us to say while we're talking about priority buy and character options lineages which are all super cool and i wish we had the time to go through all of them outside of one there is no like ancestry or lineage part of the point buy system and i was really excited to see that because i could be the coolest thing which is oni or kitsune and not feel guilty about spending a bunch of points when i just want to be a a big almost demon with a big club <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the game has the the core categories I described earlier: your core traits, skills, magic, cybernetics, and backgrounds. Uh, but you do have your primary character building things, 
which are your lineage, your physiological form, uh, and your path, which is a job role, a loose uh, mix of political assignment and or outlook, and the thing that your character could be best at, but could also ignore entirely. Path is mm-hmm. like, um, uh, you know, like kind of a loose thing that you're intended to do, but you don't have to do, and certainly doesn't define what you're good at. Skills and it's kind of their background training. training. Yeah, or you know, again, I, 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 Zach, you said you don't love comparing to other games, but I, it's it's how I built this thing. Um, oh, that's fair. By both a, a positive and negative comparisons. And if you're familiar with Legend of the Five Rings, then the path and faction system is like family and clan. Uh, or World yeah. of Darkness is, is you know, uh, your vampire families or or your tribe or, or, or stuff like mm-hmm. that. Uh, wherein it provides, a you know, an outline for what you probably will end up being the best at if you really want to optimize. But you can go off on your own tangent and become perfectly effective at something else. You'll just be niche at that other thing. Uh, so those those two things, your path and your lineage, have no priority in uh, the priority buy. Barring if you want to be a superpower fucking robot, you can do that, but it costs a couple of priority points. Um, it's so cool too, though. It's so otherwise, <laughs> they're they're all balanced. So I view that as opening up the doors to RP. Do you want to be a yeah. a fox eared, um, cybernetic? oriented future warrior who also knows some magic and is a sweet talker in the bedroom, you can absolutely do that. There's no, you don't have to be X lineage to be the best at Y skill set. There's some things that will minimally make you better or worse, but we're talking an immaterial amount. Min-maxers, of course, will min-max the system, and God bless the players that have, have torn apart the system over the past three years. Uh, creating min-max monsters that I never thought could possibly exist, and fuck, I love too. I said, they said, oh, should we probably change this <laughs> in the system? They said, oh my god, no, that is the most niche build ever. But let's leave it in because people that stumble across this are going to be doing a gajillion damage on turn three. But you know, a, a toddler would scare them if they encountered that toddler in the street because they have no social defense or anything like that. Min-maxers are the best thing for playtesting and. Oh, we God. need them around. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, like for most games I play, I tend to try to optimize myself into a non-major system of the game. Yeah. Uh, what's the best way to be a weird X, X or Y? But I'm still optimizing, which is just a, a fancy ass way of saying min-maxing. I tend not to shoot for <laughs> the most max DPS or the max defense or the max whatever it is but i i do want to find the best way to be niche at something which is me yeah. picking apart the slightly secondary systems or mechanics of a system um and and Nueto encourages you to to do so and may punish you if you do because not all games are built on hacking monsters to pieces or sweet talking in the nope. bedroom yeah we've mentioned paths now and i think this is the perfect time to introduce what I think is arguably one of the coolest systems that I've ever seen in any tabletop role-playing game. And something that I said to you before we started recording, how has nobody put this down? And that's the fate card. I fucking love the fate system. In yeah, this man, game how did so someone much. not do this before, eh? <laughs> 
What's the fate system? Tell us about it. Go on a step back because I talk too much. Um, <laughs> someone encouraged me very early on in this process to look at my design goals when I was turning this from fiction into a game. Why? Why, why not just another system onto your setting, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a question anyone aspiring to game design should think about. Why? Why am I creating my own system? And, and people that play role playing games tend to be creative people. You just want to do it. You just want to do it. There's absolutely encourage you to go do it. But if you've got a setting in mind and but you're kind of fighting with your systems, just use a system that that's out there. There's a million amazing systems. So I set myself, okay, why am I not just using an existing mechanical game system? Which for, I'm sure most erudite listeners recognize, but game systems are not copyrightable. You could fucking take the mechanics from any game and reskin it with yours, and and you're allowed to do so. Um, so Nuido was supposed to be this uh, 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 you know, character customization game, blah, 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 blah. But, but one of the mechanics was I wanted to ping people p- constantly, players and the storyteller where possible, constantly with little shots of dopamine like you get in video games. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a very good video game player. Uh, <laughs> I tend to play things on low difficulty in the Souls style games. I just don't even bother anymore. Uh, but I love Borderlands. Um, and you know, it's, that's a bit of a looter shooter and, but the, the dopamine from picking up a new gun is one of the many ways in which Borderlands keeps you hooked. And I'm just using Borderlands as an example here. Yeah. It could be fucking Candy Crush that we're talking about. Why do people play or did people play Candy Crush or any stupid game on their phones? Because a little ding, ding, ding of dopamine. Um, so I was trying to think of ways to reward players in in the the middle of the the session rather than at the end of the session with experience points or or you know all oh, congratulations you succeeded at your story your wealth background increases by 3 which is not a bad you know ping of dopamine but but keep adding to it Russ. um so the fate card was me saying okay i want to tie in this the legends the importance of legend from a role playing and mechanical perspective and how can i pull out the ding, ding, ding of video games. You know, it's a con- fairly common uh, conversation among um, developers of, like, how, how can we take advantage of the success of video games and add them into role-playing <laughs> games? Tabletop. And and it's hard to do. Uh, yeah. But I came across, this, or I came across, I, I decided to layer in procs, triggers, like um, procedurally generate whatever the hell procs. Whatever are. it is, yeah. So yeah. Basically, like, it's basically when you've got an item in a video game that will occasionally do something, but you can't make it do it when you want it to happen. And it will every five seconds, but not guaranteed on the five seconds, heal you one hit point or or whatever. And it's good to layer them all on, and eventually your character will get better, even if that one proc isn't material in its own self. So the fate card is a D100 roll at the start of every one of your character turns. Uh, that has a bunch of little lines in it that will allow generally immaterial, occasionally drifting into materiality, things to happen on your turn. Um, heal a couple of hit points, add two or three points of, of elemental damage to an attack, uh, uh, slow down an enemy, environmental things, cause a car to crash through a wall, uh, set something on fire, uh, your crits and botches are on your fate card. But 
each one of these is added to your fate card, which again is D100, but it's not going to be full, um, by something that you've, you've built into your character priority by process. A skill will give you one fate. Uh, a piece of cybernax will give you another fate. Magic will give you a fate. A background will give you a fate. Your path will give you a fate. All these things. And they add up into at first, you may only have a 15 or 12% chance of something rolling on your turn. But as you build your character and you add experience and you add skills and all that, you'll add fates. And so at every turn, cool little shit starts to go off. And because your character is not the same as any other character, their build, their skill combinations, their path and lineage, all of that, everyone's fate card is different. And that all sounds cool. Hold on one second. I take a drink. I talk too much. <laughs> Imagine the joy of that, which at first you're like, okay, and then you start to see, like, really? There's 25, 35% chance on my turn for cool little weird things that happen. They're just freebies for me. There's one or two negative ones, but you'll see them well in advance. They don't surprise you. And they're most, and they're, they're good things, and they create team synergies. Like, they'll give your ally a free action or let you get a bonus on the top of your ally's next action and stuff like that. So it really encourages team, team activity and team synergies. But filling in the blank spots on your fate card, because quite a bit of it, especially at the start of the game, will be empty. The storyteller, and this does have a burden to your storyteller, is encouraged to hand out customized, unique fate lines based on the actions that your player characters take in-game, or the decisions that your players make for their characters. So say you're, a, um, you're playing a, a charming gunfight, a duelist or something. And you, you always wink at an enemy before you shoot at them. And you do that a few sessions in a row and your storyteller says, all right, all right, Zach, that, that's, that's cool. That's pointless. That doesn't do fucking anything, but I love that you do it. Add a 3% to your fate card that if you roll that fate, one target enemy within 10 meters of you becomes enthralled by you for the next minute. And, so that reinforces your role-playing. You wink at the bad guy before you shoot them. So imagine you wink at the guy, and they're like, they're suddenly taken by you. You're like, oh, I don't have to shoot that guy anymore. <laughs> I'm going to shoot that guy. But so, one, no one else has that fate line, despite that's a standard example I use, so I apologize to people I've heard that one before. Um, <laughs> two, it reinforces role-playing, but without making it punishing for people that don't. Like, everyone, if you don't role-play, your character will still have a full fate card. But it creates this dynamic where every player's fate card is almost like a description of their character in brief. It it will have extra attacks if they're a martial character. It'll have things to do with the magical world if they're a magical character. It'll have uh, uh, social r responses and, and results if they're a social character. But then the decisions that you make and the, and the, the things that you do at the table, the things that you f fail so spectacularly at, or succeed on a grand scale that can all affect your fate on a permanently. And, mm -hmm. and looking back at a, a character sheet after someone's been playing their character for a little while, the fate card becomes the, the focal point because, okay, yeah, he's pretty good. He's a little bit stronger, a little bit slower, a little bit dumber, a little bit smarter, whatever the hell else he's good at what he does. But man, remember when we got this fate seven sessions ago when that, that Oni jumped out of the wall and I managed to scare her pants off. And now I've got this fate where blah, 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 blah. And, it's a permanent record. It is no longer just one of these narratives that we tell each other in between game sessions. Oh man, remember when blah, blah, blah happened. Now it actually affects the permanent weave of fate of your character through the game. And 
getting back to the start of this lengthy discussion, is is part of the point of this game is yeah. that your characters become legends. They become greater than just, I mean, these are meant to be larger than life characters in this game, changing yeah. the nature of the future of the setting. And so to change the future of the setting, people got to have done something. And your fate card records what you've done and lets it continue to impact the future. Every time that Zach's PC shoots at someone, now there's a certain percentage chance, one, two, three, four, it doesn't matter, uh, that they're going to charm their target or, or someone else. And that means that what you've done in the past affects the future of what you can do. And I mean, it's just a proc system. Every knife in, in, or gun in Borderlands has a proc or, 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 uh, Diablo or like this isn't an innovative system as far as RPGs even go, but I've never seen it done in a, in a tabletop RPG and it, it took, it took a lot of fine tuning, but I think that it, 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 <laughs> hits on all cylinders as far as character engagement, role-playing, uh, rewarding what the storyteller wants to see at the table, which is important, yep. um, uh, giving players what they want, tying the setting to a character, and tying the theme of the game, that is change, and the impact of the past and the future, and, and these inflection points, to the mechanics. It's not just a narrative anymore. The mechanics reinforce what the game is supposed to be about. Uh, and, and it's fun. It's super fun. I, I love it. <laughs> you more or less summed up exactly what I was going to say with that. I love the fate card. I think it's so unique and interesting, and it has so much potential in so many stories, and I'm really excited to see people get their hands on Nuedo and do that. Before we start wrapping it up, though, Salty, I want to talk about what I think is one of the most interesting and coolest legend kind of building systems in it. That's the magic of Nuedo. And that's involving the Kami and that rank five magic where you more or less become the aspect of a God. That page blew my mind when I opened up the book and all of a sudden I was like, Oh, the entire color scheme changed. So <laughs> can you talk a little bit about how magic works and, Okay, so noting that this, this the 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 history of this game goes beyond this this core book and this geography, um, magic in the game world is called the paradigm, and the paradigm is structured on the basics of physics, um, and and tangible things that folks will be familiar with. Uh, if anyone's familiar with with Mage: The Ascension or with the yeah. other Mage game. Um, you know, like, is light a derivative or is heat a derivative of light? Uh, are shadows a derivative of darkness, vice versa, all these things. So there's five tiers of kami, of the spirits, animist spirits of things. And the, the, the choice of kami in the game is fairly limited. I mean, it's a 308 page book and I think there's only 30 or 25 pages dedicated to magic in it, but there's, I mean, there's lots, lots to go on there, so I had to yeah. uh, tune it back a little bit. But more derivative concepts—that is to say, uh, rain—are lower tier, and higher derivative concepts, you know, that is to say, uh, physics or or um, material uh, matter, uh, are are higher concepts. But 
the kami themselves all have personalities, and they also are structured or or beholden to the belief defines reality nature of the game system, such that the concepts of old or or falling out of favor things may look no longer maintain their potency, such that the kami themselves are political actors in the game, and, and it's this is touched on in the rule book, but not not expounded upon too, too much. Um, magic is based on ropes, and, and this comes from the old school world of darkness uh, mage system, where yeah. it is very much in uh, you have to do a song and dance to get the, the kami to do something for you. But when you do it, you've effectively tricked them oh. into doing something, whether or not they want to do it. Uh, <laughs> that's based in superstition. Why do we light incense? Why do we uh, uh, cross our chest? Or why do we avoid walking under lathers? Why do we balk at black cats? The the concept here is that we do that, and we're creating a little magical rote, R-O-T-E, for folks not familiar, and I apologize, um, <laughs> uh, that, that you've done a tiny little song and dance by not walking under that ladder. That means that bad luck will avoid you by not having paint fall on your head. And it works every fucking time. If you don't walk under the ladder, the paint's not going to fall on your head. And so therefore that rope worked. And the magic in Nuido has the same thing. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Now magic in Nuido is not, uh, flashy. Uh, you know, there's, there is not a fireball spell. Uh, it does some pretty fucking cool things as you get more powerful and as you get closer to the fundamental uh, structures of the universe, that the paradigm, that being uh, uh, time, matter, and energy. Those are the level five kami. You can't do a song and dance and get the level five kami to help you, but as Zach implied earlier, you can basically become an avatar of those kami once you reach a certain potence in the game. Uh, and they give you some cool shit to do as well. Um, but anyone like uh, I'm a sailor and I became, I, I wasn't always a sailor. I think I said I started when I was 30 and I became more superstitious after spending time with sailors, time at sea, seeing the power of the fucking world, the universe, the ocean, things that could kill me in the wind, but didn't today. Um, you know, I sat through a 36 hour lightning storm in a boat with the, all the electronics turned off with, with no sails up, no wind, uh, and not touching anyone because it was just lightning for 36 hours. In a fucking sailboat in the middle of the ocean. And you see something like that, you're like, okay, man, now I'm superstitious. So I knock on wood. <laughs> so I knock on wood, and when I knock on wood, bad things don't happen. Now, I'm sure that now I fuck, hold on. There, okay, I'm okay now. I haven't jinxed myself by knocking on wood by saying that. But this, this concept of, of, uh, minor rotes or actions or whatever it may be turning into the the spells of of other game systems you know you can turn invisible and fly and some fun stuff like that later on in the game uh is a neat way to tie lore with mechanics with with a, a structure that's greater than just this one core rule book that will lead into the, the more world of what I, i've envisioned here but while still making the role playing and the the I don't know, like the, the minor depth of you could be a sword fighter that just knocks on wood and therefore you could say, okay, I'm a sword fighter in a very I have no faith, I've got no belief, I've got no whatever is uh but uh, I'm slightly superstitious. So you can take a tiny little bit of magic in your priority buy and have one little rope that you use occasionally 
but you know how to do that tiny song and dance that will trick the, the kami into doing this thing for you. And you may not be a believer. There's nothing about faith in the game. There's nothing about that. Like, it's the kami are part of the world, and you can trick them into doing things by doing a little song and dance, and you may do so, uh, whether or not uh, you're a magical character. It's so cool. I love the roads, and I love the kami, and I love the little brief descriptions that you've given them. <laughs> well, they all have personality, right? They all have such a cool little personality, and I think that just fills out a world that, especially like even in the book, they're like, yeah, this is a bit of a secluded nation. And I love that. I, I think it just gives like this huge lore depth and it's a lot for game masters to play with too, which I think it's very cool. Yeah. Make NPCs into Kami. Um, uh, they can take the most physical banal forms or they can take ephemeral chaotic forms. But as long as they're a Kami that the population currently believes in, then them walking down the street drinking a latte is not gonna not gonna set people's hair on fire. Um, one of the main NPCs of the game, it's not really brought out too much in the, the book itself. It's in, implied uh, is Yansha Kuduama, which is the the Empress's bodyguard. He's a fire kami, but he's a oh. an Epicurean. He's a, a every man's man. He's not the smartest yeah. fellow, uh, but he likes to wander the streets of the city as a fucking fire kami. Talking to folk, eating dinner, flirting with girls, not maybe the brightest dude, but not a bad guy. But he's the the main bodyguard of a 200-year-old empress who no one sees too much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it's, it's uh, uh, this suggestion that the world doesn't just have to be inhabited by the, the lineages of, of playable characters. Yeah. Russ, there is so much more I could... I could ask you about this game. I really like it. I'm really excited to play it and <laughs> really dive into it. But we're starting to run short of time. So I got two more questions for you that I ask at the end of every episode. So let's let's get through her and wrap this up. So first question, what advice can you give to a new creator who has no experience in their thinking about making their own game? Where do they start? What do you think that they should be? thinking about when they're hopping into their project. So first, like I suggested before, and I forgot that you asked this question, I, and I wrote this down before, and I put That's it halfway right. through the episode instead of at the end. <laughs> Decide if you're building a setting or if you're building a system. And if you're building a system, do you really need to build that system? Ask Reddit and find out if there's a system that does what you want. We're all, like, we're all creative folk playing this game, and so we may just want to create our own thing. But quite often we're re- reinventing the wheel. Uh, Nuendo started as a roll under system similar to Call of Cthulhu, and it evolved based on what I. I'll get to this, but I, it evolved based on like I eventually had to write down design goals because the monster was getting away from me. Um, <laughs> so first off, are you designing a setting because you have a, a brain full of imagination and imaginary characters? Mostly defined by the the nouns, you know, the the places, the religions, the philosophies, the the playable types, et cetera, et cetera. Or do you need to mm-hmm. make a mechanic system? And 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 if it's you want to make up your own mechanic system, first off is go out and make sure it doesn't exist. Not because you're impugning anyone's copyright, because fuck it, that doesn't matter when it comes down to systems. Um, yeah, but don't, don't you don't have to go and reinvent the wheel. If the wheel already exists, just go use a system that works. 
and, and skin your concept onto it. Uh, once you get past that and decide that you do want to create your own system, set out design goals, pillars of design, and just Google that for, for game design. And I had never heard of them. Super I, I have no, uh, no background in game design theory. I'm a, a bullshit MBA bartender sailor uh, who's just been playing <laughs> games for 30 years. Uh, but, but I was, I was kind of making things up from scratch until I read a lot of smarter and more successful game designers <laughs> use pillars of design. And if that's your first time hearing this, then go read about it and you don't have to listen to me anymore. If this is not your first time hearing about it, I apologize if that's a rhetorical comment. Uh, but pillars of design are things like, uh, I wanted to build in a lot of dopamine dings. I wanted to build in, uh, mechanical things that reinforce the setting. Um, I wanted to uh, make character creation deep and continually rewarding without making the storyteller's life fucking hell. Uh, <laughs> Pathfinder 1 is incredible for character creation, but the storytellers fucking hate, or DMs hate Pathfinder 1 because there's just too much to remember, and you just gotta trust that dude's dampier vampire blood hunter knight demon sister car mechanic actually has a plus 96 in this skill um and so <laughs> which is an accurate reflection of pathfinder one and it i mean if you, if you like that <laughs> um that's not to criticize pathfinder one i just hated running the game and so i invented new Eden. um <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, design pillars are important because you, you'll come across something while you're making up your um, uh, uh, your system. If you've gotten past step one of deciding you need your own system. So you say, okay, I really want X or Y to come in. And, and then you think of a new creative idea and you search around and you can't find anyone that's do it, done it. So you start to layer that in too. And then that creates a derivative because fuck, that was cool. And so I'm going to put another bit of that in here. And you go down a rabbit hole. And you find that you've created a monster. It's a Hydra. And it can do lots of things, but what is it good at? And what was it supposed to do in the first place? So tailor yourself back in by, by setting goals. It doesn't have to be at the start. You should probably set these things after you've been working on the book for a, a while, because otherwise you won't even know what you're trying to do. But once you start to get stuff on paper, set out four pillars, five pillars. And if something comes across and it won't fit into a pillar, just chop it. Get rid of it. Put it into an expansion pack or put it into your next game. That's excellent advice. And really actually pretty concise for the design process. Russ, where can people find out more about you and New Edo? Um, well, there, you can't find out much about me. Uh, uh, That's fair. <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not an entirely a recluse, but I don't have a huge internet presence. I'm learning more about the internet in the last three years with Nuedo's development than I did in the previous 20. Um, so <laughs> mostly the, the best way to do so is on uh, our website. It's uh, salty-games.com is where you'll find quite a bit of detail about Nuedo and another small skirmish game I've released called Kitchen Table Robot Games. Which is Which awesome. is entirely... Entirely separate from this conversation and unrelated so cool. in every possible way. <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> but there's uh, a lot of art on salty-games.com. There's uh, details on all of the playable factions and, and some paths, all of the lineages, a description of how the the um, 
priority by works, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there's links there to our drive through RPG site where there's genuine third-party unbiased reviews, which is important because I fucking love this game, but when you buy the game, it puts money in my pocket, and that helps me. Um, <laughs> one, one of my favorite reviews on drive through RPG is, quote-unquote, this game slayed Shadowrun for me. Well done, smiley face. And thank you, Step uh, Stacy W, whoever you are, because that has sold more copies of Nuedo than my Kickstarter ever did. Um, it, I'll say it's, it. Uh, Fuck that yeah, game. Yeah. Pick up Nuedo. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to interrupt you for a second, Salty. People who've listened to this show for a while know how much I fucking despise making characters in fucking Shadowrun. <laughs> I. I did a charity event and did we have to fucking work hard to make sure that we could actually make it a listenable experience? New Edo is not that. It's so good at letting you make something you want to play. I mean, if we've gotten this far and anyone's still listening, Nuedo is like a combination of Legend of the Five Rings and Shadowrun, but without Shadowrun's yeah. shit ass systems. Um, yeah, but yeah, and more okay. fun so dice. Salty uh, <laughs> at salty you'll find a link to our Discord where there's a very active and positive and supportive community. Uh, particularly awesome. if you're coming to a priority buy, buy character creation system for the first time, it can be intimidating. Uh, have a look at the character sheet, it is slightly intimidating. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm proud of the design, but it doesn't suit everybody. Um, and so come join the community even before you buy the game. Like there's no barriers to, to joining and just shooting the shit with everybody. It is an amazingly positive space. Um, and, and, and that's about it. Uh, we're on Instagram, but we suck because, uh, <laughs> Instagram at new eater. But, that's uh, more so but yeah, I, I, robot game. yeah, yeah, like, exactly. I, I would suggest that if, game if you want to just learn your, your first things about Nuedo is salty-games.com, and then you can find some of the other socials, but they're all derivative of what you would find on the, the website or uh, the amazing things you can talk about um, in Discord with the community. Myself and, yeah. and quite a few people that have been around for years now at this point, which is humbling and, and fucking amazing. <laughs> I'm there too. That is all going to be linked in the description, though, audience. Russ, Salty, this has been great. I was super excited to get to talk to... It's been a long, a long time since I've talked to a, a local creator. And I mean, local to me. Uh, the first episode, actually, was the last time I talked to somebody that was within... Uh, not a day trip. And so this was super cool. <laughs> and I really like New Edo. I I think this game has a lot of heart. And it's so well designed. and if you like rolling a bunch of dice and seeing big numbers, Nuedo's also got that for you. There's so much more. We could have filled this for like another hour, I think, if we really wanted to get into the nitty gritty, and it would still be interesting to me. Well, I mean, if, if, if you get any positive feedback, if people want to hear more, I'll happy to come back and we can get into the guts of it. I mean, that's a bit more of a niche conversation, <laughs> but, but there, I mean, we barely touched on the rules and, and the game itself and, if yeah, anyone wants to hear it, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to talk about it, though I'm running out of voice at this point. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't talk about a single path and why my favorite is the Soul Eaters. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I want to hear your characters. <laughs> oh, I love them, but 
that'll be another time. Yes. Russ, yeah, thank you so much for joining me. This was great. And like truly just it was a uh, I've been away for a long time as frequent listeners would know. I've been gone for over a month now, just kind of recovering and working on other stuff and just like this was a great way to come back into it. I was really excited about this. I had a lot of fun. And audience, I want to thank you for joining us because this has been it's been a great conversation. I had a lot of fun learning about this. I, I know I've I'm being redundant at this point, but um, I like Nuido. Go pick it up. Go check out Salty Games. It's great. Honestly, it is. Well, that's well, all. For uh, thanks so much, Zach. Uh, I, I really appreciate you. Sorry, I just interrupted you when you're trying to punch out of this this thing. But I, that's I, okay. I that you reached out to me, and it was an incredibly flattering thing as a little local developer to hear someone say. Hey man, I'd, be, I'd love to talk about your game and and the response that you know, those got locally and and in the broader community has been fuck me flattering and overwhelming. <laughs> um, but but this has been amazing and, and and thank you very much. And I won't interrupt your outro anymore. I promise. And thanks for listening. That's folks. fine. Well, you stole it from me. Thanks for listening, to everybody. <laughs> Until next time, though. Take care of yourselves. I'll see you on the next one. Bye. Thank you so much to Salty for joining me on the show this week. New Edo is one of the games I'm actually most looking forward to exploring more in depth. And part of that may be because it's done for me what Shadowrun just couldn't. While your character creator options are huge and varied, there isn't so much overly layered bullshit rules that bog down the fun or complexity of a character. New Edo is available both digitally and physically and can be picked up from the Salty Games website. That link's down below, so go check it out. It's really fucking good. And thank you so much for listening, everyone. I know I was away for quite a while, but I do feel a lot better, and after a bit of a break, I'm ready to get back into it, and we'll see where everything goes. I won't lie, though. Episode uploads are going to be spotty and weird for a little bit as I get back into the swing of things. Keep working on Tale of the Void, which is going to Season 2 in early June. Go check that out. And just trying to find more guests. Please bear with me as I get this all together. If you like what you heard, though, you can help the show grow by letting other people know. It's awesome, and I appreciate it a lot. That's everything from me, though. I hope to chat to you all real soon. See you out there.